Chapter Thirteen of Virgin Soil, Volume One by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. She went up to him first. Mr. Nestanov, she began in a hurried voice, "You are, I fancy, completely fascinated by Valentina Mialovna." She turned without waiting for an answer and walked along the avenue, and he walked beside her. "What makes you think that?" he asked after a brief pause. Isn't it so? If not, she has played her cards badly today. I can fancy how carefully she has been at work, how she has laid her little nets. Neshtanov uttered not a word. He only stared from one side at his strange companion. Listen, she continued, I'm not going to pretend. I don't like Valentina Mialovna, and you know that well enough. I may strike you as unjust, but you should first consider... Mariana's voice broke. She was flushed and moved. Emotion with her almost always took the form of seeming angry. You are probably asking yourself, she began again, why is this young lady telling me all this? You must have thought the same, I suppose, when I told you something about Mr. Markelov. She suddenly stooped down, picked a small mushroom, broke it in half and flung it away. You are wrong, Mariana Vikentievna, observed Nezhdanov. On the contrary, I thought I had inspired you with confidence and that idea was a very pleasant one. Nishtanov was not telling quite the truth. This idea had only just entered his head. Mariana glanced at him instantly. Up till then she had looked away persistently. It's not so much that you inspire confidence, she said, as though reflecting. You are completely a stranger, you see. But your position, and mine, are very much alike. We are both alike unhappy. That's a bond between us. Are you unhappy? inquired Neshtanov. And you? Aren't you? answered Mariana. He said nothing. Do you know my story? she began quickly. The story of my father? His exile? No. Well, then let me tell you that he was brought up, tried, found guilty, deprived of his rank, and everything, and sent to Siberia. Then he died. My mother died, too. My uncle, Mr. Sipyagin, my mother's brother, took care of me. I live at his expense. He's my benefactor, and Valentina Mialovna's my benefactress. And I repay them with the blackest ingratitude, because, I suppose, I have a hard heart, and the bread of charity is bitter. And I'm not good at bearing insulting condescension, and I can't put up with patronage, and I'm not good at hiding things. And when I'm forever being hurt with little pinpricks, I only keep from crying out because I'm too proud. As she uttered these disconnected sentences, Mariana walked more and more rapidly. All at once she stood still. Do you know that my aunt, simply to get me off her hands, means to marry me to that loathsome Kalomietsev? Of course she knows my ideas. Why, in her eyes I'm a nihilist. While he, I'm not attractive to him, of course. I'm not pretty, you see. But I might be sold. That would be another act of charity, you know. Why, then, didn't you... Nishtanov began, and he hesitated. Mariana glanced at him for a moment. Why didn't I accept Mr. Markelov's offer, do you mean? Isn't that it? Well, but what could I do? He's a good man. But it's not my fault. I don't love him. Mariana again walked on in front, as though she wished to save her companion from any obligation to reply to this unexpected confession. They both reached the end of the avenue. Mariana turned quickly into a narrow path that ran through the densely planted firs, and walked along it. 
Neshtanov followed Mariana. He was conscious of a twofold perplexity. It was amazing that this shy girl could suddenly be so open with him, and he wondered still more that her openness did not strike him as strange, that he felt it natural. Mariana turned round suddenly and stood still in the middle of the path, so that it came to pass that her face was about a yard from Neshtanov's, and her eyes were fixed straight upon his. Alexei Dimitrich, she said, don't suppose my aunt is ill-natured. No, she is all deceit, she's an actress, she poses. She wants everyone to adore her as a beauty, and to worship her as a saint. She makes a sympathetic phrase, says it to one person, and then repeats the phrase to a second and a third, and always with the same air of only just having thought of it, and that's just when she uses her wonderful eyes. She understands herself very well. She knows she's like a Madonna, and she cares for no one. She pretends she's always worrying over Kolya, but all she does is to talk about him with intellectual people. She wishes no harm to anyone. She's all benevolence. But they may break every bone in your body in her presence. It's nothing to her. She wouldn't stir a finger to save you. Well, if it were necessary or useful to her, then... Oh, then... Mariana ceased. Her wrath was choking her. She resolved to give it vent. She could not restrain herself but speech failed her in spite of herself. Mariana belonged to a special class of unhappy persons. In Russia one may come across them pretty often. Justice satisfies but does not rejoice them, while injustice, which they are terribly keen in detecting, revolts them to the very depths of their being. While she was talking, Neshtanov was looking at her intently. Her flushed face, with her short hair slightly dishevelled, and the tremulous twitching of her thin lips, impressed him as menacing and significant, and beautiful. The sunlight, broken up by the thick network of twigs, fell on her brow in a slanting patch of gold, and this tongue of fire seemed in keeping with the excited expression of her whole face, her wide-open, fixed and flashing eyes, the thrilling sound of her voice. Tell me, Neshtanov asked her at last, why did you call me unhappy? Is it possible you know about my past? Mariana nodded her head. Yes. That is... How did you know of it? Someone talked to you about me? I know your origin. You know? Who told you? Why, the very Valentina Mielovna whom you're so fascinated by. She didn't fail to mention in my presence, passing over it lightly, as her way is, but plainly, not with sympathy, but as a liberal who is superior to all prejudices, that there was, to be sure, a fact of interest in the life of our new tutor. Don't be surprised, please. Valentina Mielovna, in the same incidental way, and with commiseration, informs almost every visitor that there is, to be sure, in her niece's life, a fact of interest. Her father was sent to Siberia for taking bribes. She may fancy herself an aristocrat. She's simply backbiting and posing, your Sistine Madonna. Excuse me, remarked Neshtanov. Why is she mine? Mariana turned away and again walked along the path. You had such a long conversation with her, she uttered thickly. I hardly said a single word, answered Neshtanov. She was talking all the while alone. Mariana walked on in silence, but at this point the path turned aside, the pines as it were made way, and a small lawn stretched before them, with a hollow weeping birch in the middle, and a round seat encircling the trunk of the old tree. Mariana sat down on this seat. Neshtanov placed himself beside her, the long hanging branches, covered with tiny green leaves, swayed above both their heads. Around them lilies of the valley peeped out white in the fine grass, 
and from the whole clearing rose the fresh scent of the young herbage sweetly refreshing after the oppressive resinous odour of the pines you want to come with me to look at the school here began mariana well then let us go only i don't know it will not be much pleasure to you you've heard our principal teacher is the deacon he's a good-natured man but you can't imagine what he talks about to his pupils there is one boy among them his name is garasei he's an orphan ten years old and fancy he learns faster than any of them in suddenly changing the subject of conversation mariana herself seemed transformed she grew rather pale and quiet and her face expressed confusion as though she began to be ashamed of all she had been saying she apparently wanted to get Neshtanov upon a question of some sort, the schools or the peasantry, anything, if only they might not continue in the same tone as before. But at that minute he was in no humour for questions. Mariana Vikentievna, he began, I will speak to you openly. I did not at all anticipate all that has just passed between us. At the word passed, she started a little. I think we have suddenly become very, very intimate and it was bound to be so. We have long been getting closer to one another, but we did not put it into words. And so I, too, will speak to you without reserve. You are wretched and miserable in this house, but your uncle, though he's limited, still so far as I can judge, he's a humane man, isn't he? Won't he understand your position and stand by you? My uncle? To begin with, he's not a man at all. He's an official, a senator or a minister, I don't know. And secondly, I don't want to complain and slander people for nothing. I'm not wretched at all here. That's to say, I'm not oppressed in any way. My aunt's tiny pinpricks are really nothing to me. I'm absolutely free. Neshtanov looked in bewilderment at Mariana. In that case, all you told me just now. You are at liberty to laugh at me, she said quickly. But if I am unhappy, it's not for my own unhappiness. It sometimes seems to me that I suffer for all the oppressed, the poor, the wretched in Russia. No, I don't suffer, but I am indignant. I am in revolt for them, that I'm ready for them, to lay down my life. I am unhappy because I'm a young lady, a hanger-on because I can do nothing, am fit for nothing. When my father was in Siberia, while I was left with mother in Moscow, ah, oh, how I longed to go to him. Not that I had any great love or respect for him, but I so much wanted to know for myself, to see with my own eyes how convicts and how prisoners live. And what disgust I felt for myself and all those easy-going, prosperous, well-fed people. And afterwards, when he came back, broken down, crushed, and began humiliating himself, fretting and trying to get on. Ah, oh, that was hard. How well he did to die. And mother, too. But you see, I was left behind. For what? To feel that I've a bad nature, that I'm ungrateful, that nothing is right with me, and that I can do nothing. Nothing for anything or anybody. Mariana turned away. Her hand had slid onto the garden seat. Neshtanov felt very sorry for her. He stroked the hand. But Mariana at once pulled it away, not because Neshtanov's action struck her as unsuitable, but that he might not, God forbid, imagine she was asking for his sympathy. Through the branches of the pines there was a glimpse of a woman's dress. Mariana drew herself up. Look, your Madonna has sent her spy out. That maid has to keep watch on me and report to her mistress where I am and with whom. My aunt most likely supposed that I was with you, and thinks it improper, especially after the sentimental scene she has been rehearsing with you. And indeed it's time to go back. Come along. Mariana got up. 
Neshtanov too rose from his seat. She glanced at him over her shoulder, and suddenly there passed over her face an expression almost childish, charming, a little embarrassed. You are not angry with me? You don't think I, too, have been showing off to you? No, you don't think that, she went on, before Neshtanov could answer her in any way. You see, you are, like me, unhappy, and your nature, too, is bad, like mine. Tomorrow we will go to the school together, for we are friends now, you know. As Mariana and Neshtanov approached the house, Valentina Mialovna watched them with a spyglass from the balcony, and with her usual sweet smile she slowly shook her head. Then returning through the open glass door into the drawing-room, where Sipiagin was already seated at preference with the toothless neighbour, who had dropped in for tea, she observed in a loud, drawling tone, each syllable distinct, "'How damp the night air is! It's dangerous!' Mariana glanced at Neshtanov, while Sipiagin, who had just taken a point from his partner, cast a truly ministerial glance, sidelong and upwards, upon his wife, and then transferred this same cool, sleepy but penetrating look to the young couple coming in from the dark garden. End of chapter 13